Hey guys, before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let y'all know that my entire family has switched our cell phone service over to Patriot, and it has been such a great move for us. Patriot Mobile is America's only conservative cell phone company. They're all about freedom, the Constitution, giving you the power to support conservative organizations. It's right up our alley. It's like having a superpower for your beliefs. Patriot Mobile uses the same reliable networks as the big carriers, so you'll get great service wherever you go. We did not see a change in our service, and actually it's gotten better. Their customer service is incredible. You call and you immediately get someone on the phone to help you with something. They've got plans to fit every budget from unlimited talk and text to data-packed options for all your streaming needs. And when you make the switch to Patriot Mobile, they will buy out your current contract up to $500 a line. So fellow freedom-loving friends, it is time to make the change. Head over to PatriotMobile.com today. Use the code Blake for 10% off your bill. That's PatriotMobile.com, code Blake. Thanks for listening. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Krabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident Krabby Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Mark, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Well, thank you, Blake. Good to be with you. I am really excited about this. I was telling you before we started recording, my assistant's really excited about this conversation. She's a big fan. I'm a big fan. I read one of your earlier books and you have another one that is out now, but it just came out this month when we're recording. So I would love if you could just maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and and where your ministry is located and then tell us about, please, sorry, thanks. Yeah. Believe it or not, live not only in Washington, D.C., but on Capitol Hill and have lived on Capitol Hill for 27 years. So we have had the joy of planting a church, started with a core group of 19 people. And we had a few more than that a few weeks ago at the Easter sunrise at the Lincoln Memorial, but it's been a fun journey. Listen, DC needs churches and this city needs it. Maybe more than the average city shall we say? Yeah. But all seriousness, we love living and doing ministry in the nation's capital. And then, you know, as you mentioned, yeah, I get up early and I write books on the side. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of the, I have a writer's hat and a pastor's hat and well, and then I have a husband hat and a dad hat and a few other hats, but yeah, that's the, that's the long and short of it. It's funny that you say that I've always likened it to gears on a car, shift into author gear. Oh, let me shift into podcaster gear. Oh, let me shift into mom gear. And they're all so different, but also kind of bleed together. So I get that. I like it. Blake, are you kind of like me that I would get bored if I only wore one hat? hundred percent. I think I'd get bored if I only wore two or three hats. 
Like I need the full yeah. six to 10 yeah. hats to not be bored. <laughs> Variety is the spice of life. And so it is fun having different outlets. Yeah. So uh, this is going to be a fun conversation. I can already tell. Yeah, absolutely. So your new book, the kind of premise of it from what I've come to gather is this idea that I'm, and I'm obsessed with it. And I listened to as much of your content as I could about it, that words create worlds. And as two people who, as we were just talking about words is kind of our, kind of our trade, we maybe understand that on a different and the same level, but that's a reality for everybody, regardless of what your quote unquote path or work are words create worlds. Explain that for me because I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So for better or for worse, I do think words function as self-fulfilling prophecies. If you want to change your world, you have to change your words. And linguists call it the constructive conception of language, that our words don't just represent the world objectively. Our words create the world subjectively. And I geek out on this stuff. I love reading studies about priming, for example. If you prime people with rude words or polite words, it's shocking the effect that it has. But it shouldn't be surprising to us because a couple thousand years ago, a guy named Solomon said that the power of life and death is in the tongue. So I do think that our words don't just manifest what's inside of us, but they begin to create a reality around us. And even without all of the science, I mean, we find ourselves at a cultural moment where, can we just say a few more kind words or nice words or encouraging words? And of course, this book is about three of those words. Please, sorry, thanks. And and by the way, the good news is, if you're good at those three words, you're good to go. I am not worried about anything. Like you're going to be fine if you're good at please, sorry, and thanks. But they can't just be words. They're only as effective as they are authentic. Mm. And then I think they have to become a a lifestyle of please, a lifestyle of sorry, a lifestyle of thanks. And that's when those three words really start to pack a punch. Do you find people maybe get uncomfortable or weird about the idea of like speaking life? Because people get real weird about like manifesting and all of that kind of stuff. And I am actually have come out of a very, I grew up like Bible Belt, pretty like legalistic, black, white, leaving out parts of scripture that now as an adult, you're going back and reading and going, hold up. There's this whole like other (laughs) unseen realm and all of these other things that are out there that we've just never talked about. And I've really, for a long time was like manifesting is anti-biblical. It's like new age. It was, it gets all lumped into like witchcraft. And in my late twenties and thirties was like, actually manifesting probably originated in the Bible. It absolutely does. Everything is created twice. There's an internal and then an external creation. First creation happens in the mind. Second creation happens in matter. And none of this should surprise us. Most of my theology comes down to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And so Bereshit Elohim Barah, first three Hebrew words in the, the scripture, in the beginning, God created. 
Well, how did he do it? He did it with his voice. He did it with words. Yeah. And so what's funny is we tend to think phonics, but we should think physics because everything we see was once said. And for what it's worth, uh, let there be light. Those four words are still creating galaxies at the outer edge of the universe. So the universe is God's way of saying, look at what I can do with four words. Right. I realized that like you and I can't big bang the universe with our words, but people intuitively get this book that it's of all the books I've written, that idea that words create worlds. It's funny, Blake, everybody just, they, uh-huh. they nod. Uh-huh. They're like, yep, I think you're right. I think that's, I think that's true. And, and so what we have to be really careful of is our words can create worlds of hurt mm-hmm. or our words can create worlds of healing. But it's only in recent years that I'm I'm like, I've got to be really, really careful. There, in fact, there are some things I just won't say. I will not reinforce a negative narrative. Um. I will not give certain words power because in Judaism, it's this concept, Lashon Hara that don't speak derogatory or defamatory words because once you do, you can't get them back. Yeah. Think about the implications and and ramifications in today's culture where with social media, everybody's voice for better or for worse is amplified. But I I think you would probably agree with me. Not all of those are are life-giving words. Unfortunately, many of them are on the other side of the equation. Yeah, it's like not everybody needs a microphone. Okay. Like, it just, I don't think the universe is handing everybody a, a megaphone to like get their thoughts out there. What I love about this concept is that it impacts our experience and other people's experiences, right? I know people listening are thinking that they have spoken either life or death over their own lives, over their own existences, as well as we can do it to others. And that to me just amplifies the power and the, the truth behind words create worlds is it's your own and it's other people's and they're all intersecting. It's just so much bigger than some little finite concept. Yeah. And part of what we need to overcome is the negativity bias. Mm. You know, about 60,000 thoughts per day, according to the Cleveland Clinic, 80% of them negative. So we are our own worst enemy, our negative self-talk, the way that we sabotage ourselves. And and again, you know, you brought it up, Blake, so I feel comfortable going there that, you know, a lot of people would say, well, that that sounds new age or that sounds like out and right field. But the truth is, we forget that the great commandment is three dimensional. Love God, love others. But as yourself, like hurt people, hurt people, yeah. forgiven people, forgive people. And so it's really hard to love other people if you're not loving yourself. Well, how do you love yourself? I mean, my short answer is you let God love you. You let God love you and you can't love other people if you're not good at taking care of yourself. And so if you're beating yourself up, you're probably going to end up beating other people up as well with your words. These words, please, sorry, and thank you. I need them, right? I need to be able to extend them to the people in my lives, but gosh, I got to figure out how to extend them to myself to be able to extend them to my husband and my children and the people that I encounter every day. Yeah. And it's that middle word, sorry. Mm. That's probably the toughest of the three. And 
it's so hard to forgive ourselves. I think sometimes we even let God forgive us, but we think that we shouldn't forgive ourselves. Mm. That then starts turning into self-righteousness real quick where, yeah. where it's up to you. And, and I say that as a three on the Enneagram, who's kind of oh, like man. a fever or a performer. And so, but I think it was Jerry Bridges, and I'll, I'll summarize this. He said, you are never beyond the reach of God's grace, even on your worst day. And even on your best day, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. And so every day is a day for relating to God on the basis of grace alone. Yeah. Along with showing grace to other people, you do have to show a little bit of grace to yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. You say that these three words essentially set the precedent in our lives for relationships and success. And at first glance, when I read that, I was like, how... I get relationships, right? Like relationally, we need to be good at these words. How does that impact success? And then the more I read it, the more I was like, oh my gosh, you're like, your, your brain just fascinates me in the least fangirly way. It's just so good. And so you talk about the psychology of please, the science of sorry, and the theology of thank you. Mm. Let's start with please. You have this concept that we is greater than me. Tell me about that. Yeah, a lot of people still playing the game of life like it's a zero-sum game. Mm. Like there has to be winners and losers, but that's not my theology. In fact, one of my rules of life is if it's not a win for you, it's not a win for me. Mm. Like I, I want to be in win-win scenarios. And so I think what please does is it's this old-fashioned word It'll open more doors than you can break down. That I know for sure. Yeah. And even though I may be in a position to tell other people what to do, <laughs> ain't no one who wants to be told what to do. Level the playing field with a pretty please. Yeah. And now people are motivated and, and you empower other people and it shows respect. And so... I just think we we have to get that that word please back and we got to get it back in a hurry. And a PhD is great. Like a PhD is great. But PST, please, sorry, thanks. That is really what sets people apart. Like in a, in a normal workplace, the people who get the promotion are, are not the people that have the higher degree per se. That might get you in the door. Right. But it's the people who are really good at working with other people. Yep. It's the emotional intelligence. And so that's that's really what I'm, you know, the stories and studies kind of revolve in the book, revolve around, hey, how do we get better at these three words? And and please is that that very first word that I think is so important. I tell the story often of my husband. He started working for a local car dealership, but one of the bigger ones in town 20 years ago as a entry-level tech, went to a two-year tech university, started there when he was 20. When he left, he was able to retire from that and start his own business last year. But when he did that, he'd been there for 20 years and he was the service manager. Yep. He, the man was born to manage people. He was, he could probably read your book and be like, yeah, this is how I, like, this is how I did it. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. 
when I was looking through this, I was like, oh, these are all concepts that my husband does really well that I'm I'm still working on it. You know, like I'm in yep. process. It's fine. Yep. Yep. But that was actually the connection that I made when it, at first I was kind of trying to understand the concept of how success works into this. And I was like, oh, I'm married to how this, you know, like, yep. he will tell you he was a grunt. He was covered in oil and working dirty jobs. And by the time he left, he was wearing a suit and tie every day. Yep. And those are some people, you know, have a knack for it. But the good news is it is it's an art and a science that can be cultivated. Yeah. And I think I'm a lot better at these three words now than I was 10 or 20 years ago. And you so, hope so, right? Yeah. Like, and it's and it's kind of fun to make each one sort of a unique expression of of who you are. Yeah. Thirty million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. And if you're among them, I need you to know that you're not alone and that there's a solution you can trust to deliver some results. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement. It supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the root causes of thinning. Nutrafol has three physician-formulated formulas using natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients so you can get the most reliable results. And in a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code Blake to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer they offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Blake. This is a little bit of an aside, but... You know, one of my favorite people on the planet is Bob Goff. Yeah. Bob is just, he's so fun loving and so life giving. And, you know, one of the things I've noticed, because I hack other people's habits, is that Bob doesn't do anything normal. You know, I remember going to his lodge in Canada a few years ago, and we were welcomed with a flatbed boat with a fully uniformed marching band with a guy in a kilt playing bagpipes. Oh, and that flatbed boat was towing water skiers. This is how Bob Goff says hello to people, says welcome. And then the way he says goodbye is he runs off the dock, fully clothed, waving, and just jumps in the water. And I guess what I'm saying, Blake, is the world would be a better place if we would kind of words like please, sorry, thanks, or even hello and goodbye, like just put, put our fingerprint on them and get really good at those words. Yeah, I love that. The science of sorry. This is the one that like stings a little bit, right? This is the one yep. that gets a little uncomfortable. This is you're inviting people into radical vulnerability. Yep. Because sorry requires you to admit that you were wrong. Yep. And people are absolutely terrified of doing that. Yep. Well, it's a lot easier to play the blame game. Right. Right now in culture, all you have to do is 
toggle between a couple of different news stations and you'll discover that everybody is blaming everybody else for everything. Yeah. And it's not going to resolve the issues or the problems that we have. And so we've got to get better at finding common ground and common grace. And I do think the ability to say I was wrong, the ability to say I'm sorry, like Blake, I will follow a leader like that. Yeah. There's only one person who walks on water and his name was Jesus. I mean, Peter did for two seconds, but you know, he also sunk pretty, pretty quick. Yeah. So I don't think people are looking for leaders that walk on water. I think they're looking for leaders that walk with a limp, Mm. have been through some tough times, but they're honest about the mistakes and honest about the, the pain. Yeah. And they mess up when they mess up. Yeah. And and here's the good news for parents, if there are any parents listening, the, the mistakes you make are your greatest opportunity to teach your kids the most important lesson they'll ever learn. How are they going to learn to apologize if they don't learn it from you? Right. You know, as a, as a dad, I, I found myself many times just, I'm so sorry. Yep. Dad lost it. Dad messed up. Dad missed it. And when our kids see us model that, that changes the game. And now they have a skill set that's going to serve them for a long time. Yeah, this is one that it was so intriguing for me to look at the ties relationally and success related, right? That my favorite leaders in my space of podcasting and, and writing, they apologize when they get it wrong. If it's something as small as a detail in a story that they wrote, or if they had some kind of moral failure, they apologize. They don't play the blame game. They don't play the shame game. They go, because I think in this day and age, we are so tired of fluff. We are so tired of word salads. Just tell me you messed up and apologize and then show me changed behavior. Yeah. And there's so much power in that. Yeah. I share a little story in the book about a friend of mine who actually attends our church, Admiral and a former uh, deputy advisor, counterterrorism advisor to the president, you know, and uh, Homeland Security, deputy Homeland Security. And so he he manages crises for a living. Yeah. And I asked him a couple of years ago, like, what's your MO? What's your mindset? How do you engage with crisis? And he said to me, I reserve the right to get smarter later. That's good leadership where you can actually change your mind. You can get it wrong and come back and say, I got it wrong. And trust level only goes up when as a leader, you don't have to pretend that you have all the answers all the time. So I think the more you know, the more you know how much you don't know. So you ought to operate with a little bit more humility. And that's the word that I kept thinking of is that requires, it's this, but we've also so misdefined humility, right? Because humility isn't sitting down and shutting up and not being a part of the game. Humility is exactly what you just described, which is being able to walk in confidence and also being able to look back and go, oh, nope, that wasn't it. Like, (laughs) drop the ball on that one. And I think that that applies in, if you're an admiral or if you're a mom, right? Like lead your children confidently be the mom that you know God put you here to be. And also know that like, you're not going to do it perfectly. And we will cross that bridge and apologize when we get to it. Yeah. You know, one of the things I try to do as a pastor is to humanize 
myself yeah. and remind people that I deal with the same challenges. There's not a temptation that I haven't faced. There's not, you know, and I, and I say all the time, as soon as I'm omniscient, I'll let you know, but I wouldn't hold your breath. And as soon as I'm completely sanctified, I'll let you know, again, <laughs> don't hold your breath. Like I'm a, I'm a work in progress and no one bats a thousand but there is something about just good old fashioned authenticity. Yeah. And man, we're pretty good. We all have a pretty good detector inside that we can detect things that I won't even share the initials of what we're detecting, but I bet people can pick up on what I'm saying. Uh -huh. People people see through our smoke screens. And so I, as a leader, used to try to spin cycle things. I, I was too affected by life here in DC where everything is a, there's, there's a spin to it. Oh yeah. And you know what? I just learned a couple of years ago, man, just shoot straight. It's going to be really hard to say it, but people are going to appreciate that you're going to say the hard thing. So yeah. I think we need probably a little bit more of that, that we got to speak the truth in love. Yeah. I had another thought about the the science of sorry. And I don't know if you if you even touch on this in the book, but I know a lot of people and I have had this experience myself of over apologizing, of apologizing for things that I'm actually not sorry for. Yep. And what I had to learn was how much that weakened my real sorries. Yes. In the words of Demi Lovato, I'm sorry, not I'm sorry. Not sorry. Yeah. And there's a lot of that that, you know, I share kind of a fun story that anyone who's married will get a chuckle out of that. I early on in marriage, I used to say sorry to Laura and she'd call my bluff. What are you sorry about? Right. And I'm like, I have no idea. I'm just really sorry that we're fighting right now. Right. <laughs> but we wouldn't let our kids get by with saying sorry without knowing what they're sorry about, because then you're going to be right back in the same place. So yeah. I think that genuine sorry. And that little part of the book, I think I didn't write the book like as a marriage book, but yeah. you know, I, I've, I've already in the early kind of feedback stages, what I've realized is, yeah, probably these three words are the, oh, yeah. the key to a happy, healthy, holy marriage. Absolutely. My husband and I literally just had this conversation the other day where marriage is seasonal, right? And so we're in like a really great season where we're getting to be together and we're we're on the same page. And I noticed we were both apologizing a lot. And I was like, hey, I feel like we're just throwing out net sorries to make sure we're okay. Like we're good. I'll let you know if we're not. And then we can discuss an apology. But I'm going to apologize for things when I intentionally hurt you, not just when I feel like the vibe is off, right? Like, yep. And that's been helpful for us as well. Just like, don't throw that word around so that it means something when you say it. Yeah, I would apply that spiritually that you, you can't say, Lord, forgive me for everything I've ever done wrong. Amen. And can God do that? Absolutely. But nebulous confessions result in very nebulous feelings of forgiveness because yeah. it's just amorphous. It doesn't have any specificity to it. And so whether we're talking about prayer and the importance of specificity or apologies or even goal setting or gratitude, yeah, I've discovered that specificity is really critical that you find the right words 
to be able to communicate what it is that you're trying to say. Yeah, I love that. And so the last one you just you just kind of alluded to the theology of thank you and a mindset of gratitude. This can be hard if you even remotely interact with the internet because everything is on fire and it seems like everything's terrible and you're seeing everybody's highlight reel. So it seems like everybody's lives are better than yours. What is your wisdom for people when it comes to gratitude and thank you? Yeah, Blake, there's something about the way that you just said that that connected two dots for me. Because I talk in the book a little bit about upward counterfactuals and downward counterfactuals. And actually, one key to gratitude is downward counterfactuals that you compare yourself to situations that could be a lot worse. Yeah. And it's like, huh, well. Yeah. And I won't share the whole story, but one of my mantras is, Whenever there's like a travel disaster or a flight delay, I always say, beats a covered wagon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's a downward counterfactual. The dots that connected for me is that when you're looking at filtered pictures of people living exotic lives, their best lives, it's this upward counterfactual that's not even real. Right. And you're always comparing yourself. And so now you're playing the, the comparison game. And you just can't win. No one ever wins that game. So I do think that gratitude is not getting what you want. It's appreciating what you have and getting really good at that. And so I am a Jedi mind trick guy that I find ways to like psychologically alter my headspace. And, you know, one of the ways I do it is just I try to remind people Like we're on a planet that's spinning at a thousand miles an hour, that's speeding through space at 67,000 miles per hour. And so even on a day that you feel like you didn't get much done, you did travel 1.6 million miles through space. So like, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's not all bad. Like you accomplished something. Right. And oh, and you made one full rotation on planet Earth. So let's, you know, stop and smell the roses. Yeah. Yeah realize that, you know, there there are some things to be really grateful for as opposed to take for granted. When keeping your eyes on eternity, which is kind of a macro level of what you just said, changes everything that you're encountering in your day to day that, and I mean, that's scriptural, right? You're the groanings of today are nothing in comparison to the glory of eternity. And I think that a lot of believers lose sight of that completely understandably because you're in the day to day and you're, even if you don't watch the news, just life, it's easy to take your eyes off of this is a moment. This is a speck. And that doesn't mean that it isn't important. That doesn't mean that it's not impactful. That doesn't mean you just float and coast your way through it. But we should look different in our gratitude because we have something different to be grateful for. Yeah. That's spot on. I don't know if I can say it any better than you just than you just said it, but yeah, the time horizon is a key factor. We don't believe in happily ever after. Uh, you can't read Hebrews eleven, like the last half of it, and like people getting sawed in two. That's not happily ever after. We believe in something bigger and better and longer and stronger. We believe in happily forever. Yes. And so that that means that we're going to have to cross the space-time continuum, enter a dimension the Bible calls heaven, for us to really, for the math to add up. Yeah. And that's not pie in the sky. By the way, you feel like a safe person for me to share this with. 
One of my favorite philosophers is is Jack Handy. Do you, do you know who that is? Yeah. Um, SNL. Uh huh. Yeah. So like one of our family values is if you drop your keys in a river of molten lava, let them go, man, because they're gone. So that's like a that's a Jack Handy. For some reason, we're just we're riffing now. Now we're stream of consciousness level <laughs> in, in podcast world. I love it. He also said, I don't know if there's a regular heaven and a pie heaven, but if I were you, I would just believe in a pie heaven. Yeah. And and if it's true, mm, good. It's going to be good. So. <laughs> I, I do think like we have a very diminished understanding of the heaven that we anticipate. And part of it is because there are so many cliches and platitudes. And part of it is that we've been stuck in four dimensions our entire lives. So we can't even d- imagine five dimensions. Right. Let alone what physicists, you know, string theorists say at least 11 dimensions. But I have a sneaking suspicion it's more than that. That there's a there are dimensions of reality that are just way beyond our ability to comprehend right now. Yeah. Something I think for us to look forward to. I know. And I love that I love finding people, especially that can talk about that kind of stuff, dimensions and eternity. And it's not doom and gloom, right? A lot of these conversations are very, we don't know. And I'm like, we don't know. Like it's like, imagine the best. It's way better than that. Like, yeah, I wrote this whole blog post a while ago about in that moment, what is heaven going to be? And I was like, it's going to. So I'm like born and bred Louisiana. Right. So it's like, it's yep. going to be the best night in Tiger Stadium on crack. Right. Like, it's going to be <laughs> the best barbecue you've ever had times 100. And that's simplifying it. Right. That's like a gross oversimplification of what heaven will be. But when you start giving it, I don't know, like a little bit of structure and start imagining yeah. it and give yep. it like chop the top off, top off of it is what I say. Like there's no ceiling. This is what I am capable of imagining. And it's going to be a hundred times better than that. Yeah. That is a little bit easier to set your eyes on than like streets of gold and a mansion. Like that doesn't mean anything to me. I like the way you're drilling down right now, because can I, I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to. I bet a few other people is a glorified body. Yes, please. I have two torn ACLs from playing basketball in college. My intestines ruptured. I've got a scar all the way. Some people have a six pack. I have a two pack. (laughs) And so I can't wait for a glorified body. I can't wait for glorified senses that we'll be able to hear angel octaves and we'll be able to, I think, see and differentiate more colors on the light spectrum. I just think the whole thing is going to be pretty stinking awesome. Yeah. And, like you know, maybe in, in keeping with the way you said it, it's it's like glorified bodies. It'll be like we we're all on steroids, but right. but none of the none of the side but effects, none, none of the of bad the side effects. Stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Everything yep. is the way it's supposed to be, the way it was intended to be. And I think that's really exciting and something worth talking about, especially in view of how we treat one another and how we treat ourselves and what our relationship with these words looks like. Think about it in terms of eternity, right? Yeah. You know, some some people say you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. But I would flip that script and say, you can be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. Yeah. So I keep telling people like, can we quit living as if the outcome is undecided? Like I've read the end of the book, the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdom 
of our Lord and of his Christ. The tomb is empty. We know who is seated on the throne. And so let's have a little bit more holy confidence and holy boldness in the way that we live our lives. And along the way, I guess, say please, sorry, and thanks a little bit more. Amen. I love that. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Tell people where they can connect with you online. Yeah, markbatterson.com. And we've got a lot lot of free 99 value ads there on the website related to the, the book, as well as sample chapter and some other fun freebies. And then I'm on social uh, at Mark Batterson, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. What a joy. Thanks, Blake. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.